spiritual imitation. It is spiritual imitation. It's taken from the book of Philippians, so let me read the passage, and then we'll back up and start where we start this reading. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's describe them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Let's go back to Philippians 3.17 on the slides, please. This is about spiritual imitation, but let me start here. We want to be strong Christians. We want to be the sturdy, the stable kind. We want to be spiritual weightlifter Christians. We want to be spiritual strong men and women. Paul says to the Ephesians, I pray that you'll be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. We want that, strengthened with power in our inner man. He says later to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, strong power, might. Be strong in the Lord. We want to be that. We want to be those strong Christians. We want to be the robust kind. We want to be the sturdy kind, not the little flimsy kind, not the kind that's easy blown over by some wind of doctrine, not the kind that's easily taken out by some little beanie, not even a fiery dart, just a smoldering dart, just a little beanie one, barely smoldering, goes right through our little paper-thin shield. We don't want to be that kind. We want to be the strong kind that in the evil day can stand and having done all to stand. We want to be that kind. But how do we get there? How do we become that strong kind of Christian? God has given his people what, what have long been called the means of grace. There are many means of grace. There are many ways that God feeds his grace into the souls of his people to make them strong. The means of grace. There are many of them. You might think of them as spigots. You have a spigot on the outside of your house. You put a hose on it, you turn it on, and the water comes out. God has spigots where we can get ourselves under the spigot and turn it on, and his grace flows into our souls and strengthens us. There are specific spigots. What we're doing right now is probably the best known of them, them all in the New Testament. This is, this is a means of God's grace. Gathering together, He strengthens us. That's why it's so important to gather. That's why it's so important that we come together like New Testament Christians. This is one of the means of grace. And letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, however you're taking in that Word. There are various ways to Letting it dwell in you richly is a means, and prayer is a means, and godly and edifying fellowship is a means. There are many means of grace. There are many spigots God has provided to His people 
so that we can be nourished and become strong and robust Christians. Today, we're standing under one of those spigots. Today, I'm going to talk to you about one of those spigots. I didn't list it in my list so far, but it's the title of the message. One of, the, one of God's spigots, one of his ways of strengthening his people is through spiritual imitation. It's through you and me looking at other Christians who are more godly than we are, stronger in Christ than we are, ahead of us in the Christian life, looking at them and imitating their faith. That's what this message is about. You identifying and growing from, following after, imitating the faith of other strong believers. That should be going on in your life. That's going on in my life. This morning, I listened to two other pastors. One of them's a friend of mine. He's in Kentucky. We were roommates in college, been friends ever since. He was up here from Kentucky to visit a couple weeks ago. We spent three days talking in the evenings. Um, and another one is an internationally known pastor. He's in Southern California. And I listened to both of them today so I could put myself under the means of grace, so I could put myself under somebody else's preaching of the Word of God. And I do that every Sunday morning, by the way. Once I'm ready for this, then I just sit in my chair and listen to some other guys and get preached to and get ministered to. But it's a means of grace. It's a spigot that God has given us that we would identify stronger, faithful, godly brothers and sisters in Christ who are ahead of us in the faith, and get connected to them. Hook up with them. Learn from them. Grow from them. Follow them as they follow Jesus Christ. That's what this sermon is about. It's about spiritual imitation. Let's go back to Philippians 3, 17 then, and let's start to look at the actual words. There's the first word, brothers. Let's stop right there. Of course, that means sisters as well. That was a generic, generic term in that day that included all Christians, and nobody cared that it was masculine. Brothers and sisters, because people do care now. I want you to notice what he's about to say is not directed to the pastors. He does not say, pastors, this is for you. It is not for church planners. It is not for missionaries. It is not for officers of the church. It is for anybody who says, I'm a brother. Are you a brother? It's to you. He's speaking to you. This is not for some special category of really super, super amazing saint. This is for the rank and file of God's people. He's talking to everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's saying, here's something I want you to do. Brothers, what's the thing that we're supposed to do? Join in imitating me. We're to imitate him. We're to imitate Paul. Now, you all know what imitating is, right? It's what your kids do in the back seat when they run out of other ways to annoy each other while you're headed to the beach. And one of them starts doing everything the other one does. This one says, Daddy, and that one says, Daddy. And they imitate each other to drive each other crazy. We all know what imitating is, but that's a bad kind. But there's a good kind. It's when you see somebody who has a skill that you want to acquire, and you imitate the way they exercise their skill. You see somebody who has talent that you want to acquire, and you imitate the way they operate their talent. And so there's a good sense of imitating, and that's what Paul is using here. He's saying we want to find good examples and be shaped by them. We want to find good examples and imitate them and follow them. This is one means God intends for us in, to make us stronger Christians, imitating others who are strong. This is so important, spiritual imitation 
Imitating is so important. The verb is used four times in the New Testament. The noun, an imitator, is used seven times. Together, that's 11 times in the New Testament. Imitate, 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 11 times. I don't have these next ones on the slide for you, but I'll give you some of the verbs, the verbs. Well, there are four of them. Here they are. 1 Thessalonians 3, 7. You ought to imitate us. You ought to. Or 2 Thessalonians 3, 9. We gave ourselves as examples for you to imitate us. Hebrews 13, 7. It's about your pastors, and it says, whose faith imitate. And then in 3 John, there's a negative, do not imitate that which is evil. Imitate, imitate him. Four times, once in a negative. But the noun is used seven times. Let me show you a few of the others. We can put these up. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that helps. Paul's not just saying, just imitate me. And it stops right there. I'm the model. I'm the example. No, he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I'm really just helping you to follow Christ. When you follow Christians who are stronger than you, you're really following Christ. They're helping you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And again to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So here's Paul, and there's several generations here, four of them. I'm imitating Christ, so he's first, I'm second. Then there's you, you imitated me, and by that you're an example to everybody in Macedonia, and they're imitating you, and it goes on and on and on right down to our day. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 6.11, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be imitators, be imitators, be imitators, be imitators. What, what, what was it about Paul that we're supposed to imitate? What is it about Paul that we observe and then mimic? He gives us a good example. I don't have this on a slide for you. In 2 Timothy 3.10, he says to Timothy, you, however, have followed, and now here's the list. Here's what Timothy imitated about Paul. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So there Paul gives Timothy a good list of what he wanted Timothy to imitate about him, of what Timothy did indeed imitate about him. There's a pattern here. Paul says to everybody, let's go back to the uh, former verse, please, in First Thessalonians, I'm sorry, in Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians, thank you. Brothers, here's what we're to do. Join in imitating me. So you're supposed to look at Paul in the New Testament and say, I want to be like that. I want to live like him. I want to love what he loves. I want to follow Christ like he follows Christ. I want to pray like he prays. I want to know the word like he knows the word. I want to fellowship like he fellowships. I want to be a churchman like he's a churchman. I want to be a gospel man like he's a gospel man. You're supposed to look at Paul in your New Testament and say, Lord Jesus, make me like that. I want to imitate him. So let's look at our text again. And I want you to notice another word. <laughs> Brothers, join. Let's notice the word join. Join in imitating me. Actually, this is the first word. The word join is the Greek word sum, which means together, 
together become imitators. That's, that's one word. It's the first word in the sentence in the Greek. So here's where the, word, here's where the sentence starts. Together, imitate me. This is a group exercise. This is not individual. You do not do this at home, alone, away from the body of Christ. You do not do this in a silo. You do not do this in isolation. It's a team sport. It's a group activity. It's corporate. It's community. He says, join together. It's something we do as a body of Christ, as a local manifestation of the body of Christ. He says, I want you to do this together. It's a corporate activity. It's communal, I'll say again. You can't stay home and and imitate other believers. You can't live in isolation from other believers but somehow imitate them. You can't grow from their faith and their godliness and their walk when you have nothing to do with them. You can't sit around all alone and imitate other believers. You imitate other believers by being with them together, by joining together. This is a deeply communal activity, a means of grace, a spigot God gives us. Get yourself under it so you can be strong. Together, deeply embedded in the weekly rhythms of the body of Christ, in deep fellowship with, in deep communion with. Notice how the book of Hebrews chimes in, and it doesn't exactly use the word imitate, but you'll see the ideas there, Hebrews 10.25. He says, not neglecting to meet together. Let me just pause there, say to some of y'all, some of you in the camera there, I'm looking right at the camera, some of y'all, you are neglecting to meet together. One of the ill effects, one of the awful ill effects of COVID has been that many of you have forgotten how to get yourself to church every Sunday. And you've gotten lax, and there are more believers at Cornerstone now than I've ever, ever, ever seen before who show up one Sunday and miss five, and show up one and miss three, and show up one and miss four. It's like you're a comet that just comes around every, you know, every five weeks. There they are. That is not healthy for your soul. That is an ill effect of COVID in your life. And I mourned it knowing it was happening to you the whole time we were in COVID and you weren't here. But the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. How often should we do this? All the more. In chapter three, it was daily. In chapter 10, he ups the ante and says, more than that. All the more as you see the day drawing near. So, so much more, he says. The Christian life is deeply communal. We do this thing together. We imitate together. We want to be strong. One means of God for making us strong and robust and sturdy and firm is the spigot of fellowship with other believers. One part of that fellowship is imitating those who are stronger, mimicking, learning from the faith of other believers who are ahead of me. All right, let's move on a little further in our verse. Brothers, join in imitating me. We've covered that much. Now let's go on. And keep your eyes. You have to do the eyes thing when you say that. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul says, there's me, and there's an us, and there's a those. So follow me, but the me is is in us by the end of the verse. There's people with Paul. You could also follow them. They're good examples. And there's also those who walk according to the example you have in me and us. So there's lots of people can be good examples. We're going to see a little later there's lots of bad examples too. 
But there's lots of people. There's no shortage. You've got Paul. You've got the people with Paul. You've got the people in your local church who look like the people with Paul and like Paul. You've got lots of good examples. And what he says is, keep your eyes on them. Now, there's a lot of things you can keep your eyes on in this world. There's a lot of things that can attract and hold and fix your eyes. You can keep your eyes on the latest whatever. You can keep your eyes on whatever people, you can keep your eyes on. But Paul says, here's where I want you to keep your eyes if you want to be under that spigot. The spigot comes through your eyes. You're observing, you're imitating. Keep your eyes. There are people in churches who are more like Jesus Christ than you are. Keep your eyes on them. Observe what they're doing. How do they pray? How do they take in the Bible? Do they read it? Do they listen to it? Do they get it at church? Probably all the above in this culture. We're very blessed. And keep your eyes on people who are here, but who imitate the us and the Paul. Keep your eyes on them. So this is one of God's means of grace. We want to be strong, sturdy, robust believers. How do we get there? There are many means. One of them is spiritual imitation. It's a team sport. You don't do it home alone. You don't do it in isolation. You get near other believers who are stronger than you. You get near other believers who are more godly than you. You get near other believers who have grown longer than you, and you let them rub off on you. How does he treat his wife? How does she respond to her husband's guidance and leadership in the home? How are they raising their children? How do they manage their finances? How do they spend their time? What are the things they love? What are the things that matter to them? What's the inclination of their souls and their hearts? What's their whole mindset? And learn from them. So this is what Paul wants us to do. And now we might ask, well, but why? What's the urgency? And Paul's going to give us how urgent it is. And Paul's going to give us a reason why we want to do this. Why? Philippians 3.18. We're moving on. For, here's why. For, here's why I want you to imitate me and us and those who are among you. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, here's why it's so urgent that you find good examples, because there are many bad ones. Here's why I want you to find good examples, because there are many bad examples. Many. It's striking. Paul's not given to exaggeration. He's, he's not like a wild-eyed radical running through the streets screaming something. No, he's a rational man. He's been in the real world. Our world is the same as his world. Sin is what sin, sin is now, what sin was then. And Paul says, there are many, there are many, not just a few. It's not like occasionally in life you might bump into a bad example. Now, what do you have to do to find a bad example? Open your eyes. What do you have to do to find a bad example? Look around. Yeah, it's not hard to find. They're all over the planet. In Paul's day and in our day, there are bad examples There are bad examples among Christians. There are bad examples among non-Christians. There are bad examples of parenting, bad examples of being a husband, bad examples of being a wife, 
Bad examples of how to be a godly single. Bad examples of how to be a godly youth. Bad examples among teachers. Bad examples in books, in podcasts, in Netflix series, in movies, with politicians. Hard to find a good example there. Bad examples among musicians. In Paul's day, earlier in the chapter, and I didn't take the time to go into this, though an earlier version of the sermon written Thursday afternoon did have this in it, but I scratched it later. The thing he's really after is there were Judaizers. Everywhere he went and preached the gospel and formed churches, these guys came behind him and said, yeah, yeah, Paul's fine, Jesus is fine. You have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law of Moses, or you cannot be saved. They were the ones Paul was specifically addressing in his day. They were the ones who would upset the faith of some. They were the ones who would shipwreck your faith We don't have that problem in our era right now, but we have plenty of other things that want to shipwreck your faith. We have plenty of other errors being propagated on the earth. And Paul says, you need to follow some good examples because there are many. There are many who would wreck your faith. There are many who would lead you astray. There are many who would lead you down the path that leads to destruction. And then he describes that many a little bit. He says, I've told you about them Often, some cornerstoners would be writing me letters like, you've told us that enough. Like, you're stuck on a thing there. Just get over it. Just stop talking about it. No, no, no. Paul says, I told you, Philippians, I told you this often. I told you again and again and again and again. There are enemies. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, I not, not only did I tell you often, but I told you with tears. And, and I now tell you, rather, even with tears. Here's Paul dictating the Philippian letter. He's probably got a scribe who's writing it for him, and Paul's dict- And every now and then, Paul walks over and picks it up and says, let me check that, and as he does, some tears fall on the page. And I imagine that when the document arrived in Philippi, they opened it up, and there were these little wet spots where it was smudgy, and those were Paul's tears. This is no unfeeling apostle. This is no robotic machine-like apostle. This is a man who felt, look guys, you need to follow some good examples because there are many. Many who what? Many who walk as enemies. See, you want to walk as Christ. You want to walk as Paul. You want to walk as those who walk like Paul. But there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's surely no shortage of them in our day. And then he's going to describe them. Um, Let's go to the next verse, please. Four ways he describes them. I tried to emphasize these four when I read it. First, their end is destruction. You want to follow them? Look at where it's going. It's going to destruction. That's one of the Bible's other words for hell, So consider where it's going before you pick an example that you're going to follow. Where would that lead me? Oh, that'll lead me to destruction. So that's why it's important that you don't pick that one. Where do they tend? Where are they taking me? What What if there's a burning building and a guy says to you, I'm going to run in there. Follow me. Do you follow him? What if there's a big cliff, 300 feet straight down? It's all rocks down below. He says, I'm going to jump off. Follow me. Do you follow him? What if somebody says, I'm headed for destruction. Follow me. And too many people follow them. Don't follow those whose end is destruction. And next he describes them. 
Their God is their belly. This has always tickled me. Their God is their belly. Here's what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that they had a a bronze cast made of their belly and it's sitting on a little, little platform in their home and they come in and they bow down before it and worship their belly. What does it mean their God is their belly? This is what philologists, people who study words, call a metonymy. A metonymy is putting one thing for another thing. When he says belly, what does he mean? Belly represents appetites. Their God is their appetites. It's what they're hungry for in their soul. They they worship their appetites. And John tells us what those appetites are in 1 John 2, 16, where he says, all that is in the world, and here's the appetites, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from God. Their God is their belly. Their belly is their appetites. Their appetites are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what they live for. That's what they're excited about. That's what their mind is set on. That's what motivates them. That's what they love. Man, do we live in a generation of that. We're, in, we're deep into Romans chapter 1 where God gave them up unto that and that and that. And we have boatloads of all of those that's in our Formerly, quote, Christian culture. It's gone. It's very, very gone. And you'll see that in the next description. First, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Next, they glory in their shame. Things they ought to be ashamed of. Things you'd think they'd do in darkness. Things they think you'd think they'd hide it, do it in secret. You'd think they'd never tell about it. But no, they actually, they're so in the face of God, they glory in it. Look at what we do. We glory in it. Do we have that in our culture? Oh, man, do we. In, in, in very, very specific ways. They glory in their shame. One more description of them, and maybe this one's the coup de grace. With minds set on earthly things. Don't follow them. There's many of them. Well, what's wrong with them? Fourth thing, their mind is set on earthly things. You want examples of people whose minds are set on heavenly things. You want to follow them. Follow Paul. Follow those with Paul. Follow those like those with Paul and Paul. And in doing so, you're following Christ. What are their minds set on? Uh, Their minds are set on heavenly things. Do I have time? I do. Good. Uh, Just pause here. Remember, we're on that. Here's why you don't want to follow these people. Here's the fourth thing that's wrong with them. Their minds are set on earthly things. Pardon me. There are some other passages that talk about that. Let's look at a few, a few quick. Here's where, where our minds ought to be set, and here's where our minds shouldn't be set. Do you remember Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3? Let's, let's read them. I'll read them for you. You can follow. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That's not the belly God. That's not a mind set on earthly things. That's the things of Christ. Seek those. That's what your life is about. That's what you're passionate about. That's what you live for. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And now this, set your minds, a great Greek verb, phroneo. It means these are the things you think about. These are the things that occupy your mental wavelengths. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, belly God things. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
this is a little temporary you, and that'll be the real and eternal you. So just start living on that wavelength. Start being that you. Set your mind on things that are above. But these people have minds set on earthly things. Remember Romans 8. Let's look at it. Paul says, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, same Greek verb, phrineo, set their minds on the things of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're set on that. Bad examples. They're not believers. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's believers. That's non-believers, and that's believers. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, eternal death. Eternal death in your soul. It leads to destruction. But to set the mind on the spirit, that's life. And that's peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's actually hostile. They'll glory in their shame and shake their fists at God while they do so. For it does not submit to God's law. That's hostile to God. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Back to Philippians 3.19, please. Can we see that verse again? Thank you. So here's why you don't want to follow the many. Here's four things about the many. Here's why you don't want to go after their example. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, and they've got their minds set on earthly things. Don't follow them. Their whole life, their whole orientation is not godly, is not about Christ, is not heavenly. It's about destruction. It's about the things that are against God, Godless things. Those are the ones you don't want to imitate, and they are all around you. They're on Netflix. They're on television. They're in movies. They're in songs. They're certainly at the universities. They're certainly in the public schools. Certain teachers might be very godly, and others might be very dangerous people. They're all over the place. They're in books you read, those you don't want to imitate. After describing them, they're all set on earthly things. Paul goes on in Philippians 3.20. We're making it to another verse now, Philippians 3.20. But, in contrast to them, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, pause there. You've got to know about something about citizenship in Paul's day. It's not like in our day. We're pretty lame about citizenship. It's even worse in Europe. Like, I've got pastor friends in Italy, and they told me no one in Italy puts out an Italian flag. That's considered to be way too nationalistic. You don't put out a flag for your country. Just want you to know, I, we have an American flag out in front of our house every day of the year. I'm happy to fly that flag. I have one on the back window of my truck, yeah, on my Ford truck. But, but, but they don't... <laughs> but, in Paul's day, they were highly nationalistic. Like, if you were from Rome, you were proud. I'm a Roman. If you were Saul of Tarsus, you were proud of Tarsus. If you were from Jerusalem, you were proud of Jerusalem. That's my city. I was raised in Jerusalem. And so Paul's talking about that kind of attitude towards citizenship when he says, look, our citizenship is not Roman is not Tarsus, is not Jerusalem, is not this world, is not all the things they have their minds set on. Our whole citizenship, the thing we're proud of, the thing we fly flags for, our citizenship is heaven. We're a people about heaven. 
a heavenly people. And Paul says, this is why you don't want to follow them with their minds all set on the things of this earth. Because our citizenship is there, and from it we await a Savior. What are we doing here? Tap you on the shoulder after church. What are you doing? And you say, waiting. That was in the book of Revelation series, y'all. Come on. It wasn't that long ago. What are you doing here? Waiting. Here it is again. And from it, we await. See, what are you doing while you're down here? I'm just waiting. I'm looking up there and waiting. That's how I'm living my life. It's a heavenly life. I'm a citizen of up there. I'm waiting till I can be in my country. I'm waiting till I can be with my Savior. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Final verse, Philippians 3.21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, Philippians 3.21. So what have we seen? Got to close. What have we seen? Paul says, follow him as he follows Jesus Christ. Do it together. Do it communally. Don't try to do it in isolation. You need other believers in your life. You need to be embedded in the rhythms of the life of a local church where you meet other believers, where you spend time with other believers. And do it because it's good for your soul and don't follow those people because they're bad for your soul. Let me give you four points in closing. Number one, let there be lots of imitating, all right? Look, we're about to appoint, ordain if you want that word, we're about to appoint our seventh pastor. Praise the Lord for that. Seven pastors. They ought to be that us. They ought to be Paul's us. The ones who are with Paul. They ought to be like, like that. They all ought to be men, or we shouldn't be appointing them. They ought to be men that you can say, I want to be like him. I want to, help, I want to follow you while you follow Jesus Christ. Get near one of our pastors. Not me this week. I'm on vacation. Get near one of our pastors. And there are lots of solid, sturdy believers here. I'll tell you what. There's men who get up early to have Bible studies together so they can be strong in the things of the Lord. Follow some of those guys. Get into one of those Bible studies. Let let there be lots of imitating. That's number one in closing. Number two, just let there be lots of fellowship because that's where a lot of the imitating happens. You should be living in fellowship. You cannot live the Christian life alone. If you're trying to live it alone, you're not living it because the Christian life is not alone. It's a community thing. It's together. You need to do this life in fellowship with other believers. So number three, first lots of imitating, next lots of fellowship. Third, may I just suggest to you, join a group. Our groups are about to resume. They were off for the summer. Some of them, some of them are hardcore. They never quit. They go year round. But a lot of our groups take a break. That's fine with our blessing. But they're all about to resume. Join a group where you can get with other believers. Some might be weaker than you. Some will certainly be stronger than you. And you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join a group. And here's a fourth thing. Lots of imitating, lots of fellowship. Join a group. And finally, serve on a team, which is another group with a different orientation. It's a group you go to not so much to receive and share. It's a group you go to to serve and give serve on a team. And when you serve on that team, there will probably be some believers who are stronger than you, and you'll develop a friendship with them, and you can start imitating them as they imitate Jesus Christ. Let me remind you, last thing now, last thing. For whom does Paul write these words? Brothers. This is just 
normal, New Testament, biblical Christianity. This is not some special category that you might see. This ought to be everybody in Cornerstone Church. We're citizens of another heaven. We're waiting, we're looking, we're awaiting our Savior. And while we're waiting, we wanna be like him. So we're finding people stronger than us and they're helping us become like him. Do you have people like that in your life? They're here. You can find them. Get them in your life. 